Hi, welcome to another impacting sermon from NBC Church. We hope that this message encourages, challenges and equips you in your walk with Christ. Please consider leaving a review for the podcast as it helps with exposure and getting the gospel out to thousands of people. Thank you. So it's good to be with you. And yes, I do pray that um, this psalm will be an encouragement. That's pretty much the whole thing I've been praying uh, in the lead up to this, is that this will encourage, um, it will equip us, it will give us a just a much deeper knowledge of um, the Lord that we serve uh, through this Song of Moses. So let's just quickly pray before we um, begin, uh, and then, yeah, let's listen to what God will have for us this morning. So Lord, we do come before you humbly, Lord. Uh, we do recognize that your word is true, uh, that is, it is inerrant, Lord, that there is, there is no error in all of your word. Um, I just pray, Lord, that I'll just be a, um, a, a vessel that you can pour into, that will then pour out um, into these people here, Lord, that, that are gathered for church, Father. And I just pray that we can be encouraged, we can find joy and peace and hope this morning um, through this uh, situation we're in. Lord, just give us total peace. Help us to fix our eyes on you, Lord, to take our eyes off of ourselves, off of our problems, off of our concerns, uh, and lay them before your feet. That's my prayer this morning, Lord, and that's our prayer. And I uh, would just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Charles Haddon Spurgeon, Prince of Preachers, he's telling about his grandfather in one of his sermons, and he said this, he had a large family and a very small income, but he loved his Lord, and he would not have given up his preaching of the gospel for anything, not even for an imperial crown. He's told me often how the Lord provided for him. He had a little farm to get his living upon it, and he had a cow which used to give milk for his many children. And one day when he came up to the cow, and it fell back with the staggers, and it died. And grandmother said, James, how will God provide for the dear children now? What shall we do for milk? Mother, he said, God said he would provide, and I believe he could send us 50 cows if he pleased. And there is a quote here somewhere, but clicker isn't working. So we'll just listen. So it so happened that on that day, a number of gentlemen were meeting in London. Persons whom he did not know were sitting as a committee for the distribution of money to poor ministers. They'd given it to all who had asked for it. My grandmother, sorry, grandfather, had never asked for any. He liked to earn his own money. He did not send in any petition or appeal. Well, after the gentlemen had distributed to all who had asked, there was five pounds over, and they were considering what they should do with this balance. Well, said one, there is a Mr. Spurgeon down at Stambourne in Essex, a poor minister. He stands in need of five pounds. Oh, said another, don't send him five pounds. I'll put five to it. I know him. He's a worthy man. No, said another, don't send him ten pounds. I'll give him another five pounds. If somebody else will put a fourth to it. A fourth five to it, sorry. The next morning came a letter to Grandmother with nine pence to pay. Grandmother did not like to pay out nine pence for a letter, but there was twenty pounds in it. And as my grandfather opened it, he said, Now, can't you trust God about an old cow? So that's from Reverend James E. Naylor in the Watchman Examiner. So we live in a time in 2021 where 
from one day to the next, things can change. So how many of you have had your plans just take a dip in 2021? <laughs> Travel plans, work plans, maybe flight plans, uh, maybe even plans to shop at a certain place. They've just been snapped, changed. Some of us haven't even been able to go to work um, that we may know of because of the situation. So we could be happily going about our business, earning our wages, shopping, meeting friends and having fun. So that sounds like 2018 to me. When we suddenly cannot have a certain number of people in our homes. We could be even made to wear masks indoors and told not to sing during God's sacred community of believers in church. So if 2021's taught us anything, it's that God's one, his provision and his promises are literally the only thing we have that's solid in this life. So when you strip away all these things, these temporary things, the only real thing we can stand on is Christ's provision and his work and his character. So today's passage is about provision during a time of sheer isolation and wondering. It's about dependence on God who is before all things. And we'll get to that in a sec about God being God over all things. So Psalm 90 is a song written by Moses at a time in Israel's history where they, they were about to enter into the promised land. They'd seen God's miracles time and time again before their eyes, yet they'd been denied entry because of Moses' sin in striking the rock for water. So James Montgomery Boyce gives us some context about this passage. So this is the context of what we're reading. So he says, If we connect it with any particular time in the life of Moses, the best suggestion is the time described in Numbers 20. So probably the incidents recorded in Numbers 20. Number one, the death of Miriam, Moses' sister. Number two, the sin of Moses in striking the rock in the wilderness, which kept him from entering the promised land. And three, the death of Aaron, Moses' brother. So tragedy has struck Moses in three waves. And some of us have had that occur. We've had strike one, strike two, strike three of tragedy happen, you know, maybe in the one year or the one day. So it could be death of loved ones. And this is what happened to Moses. Uh, a denial into the fruitful land God said they could enter should they have obeyed him and kept his commandments. Moses could have simply given up on faith, thrown away God's promises, but he didn't. This very song proved Moses' attitude and heart towards God in all of this tragedy, wandering, and chaos. So here's what he says. Verse 1, A prayer of Moses, the man of God, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you'd formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So what's Moses' first declaration here in this song? It's of God's character through his time, having seen amazing miracles and provision in the desert, and that God has been their dwelling place. They had lived inside of God's care, like the very depths of his care. And this word dwelling, if we look this up in the Hebrew, it's mayon, which means habitation. So it doesn't get more inside of his care than his habitation. But in some manuscripts as well, they have this word meoz, which carries with it the truth that God was a continual abode through trouble. So it's this constant, constant abiding help through trouble. That's what Moses experienced. Even though the Israelites basically had no permanent home for decades during the Exodus, and before that, ever since Abraham left his home country, they had a traveling, constant, 
never-failing friend and provider in God the Almighty. And he's with us this morning, this constant travelling friend, this companion, this helper, this mighty God. This truth was evident in the provision of manna from heaven, even though the Israelites clearly didn't deserve it. This is made evident in the provision of water from absolutely nothing in Moses and the staff before their eyes. God had gone with them and provided everything they needed to be able to survive, to feed their families, to raise livestock, to maintain their worship, and to be able to praise God through suffering. That's the God we serve, the God who provides through suffering that we can praise. Now the world sees this as ridiculous, that God would preserve and provide for a homeless people. Like, wouldn't God have picked princes and kings and queens and royals and the rich and the celebrity and the famous, maybe the self-righteous. But no, he picked wanderers who were surviving in the desert just to one day hopefully enter a better land. But the believer, like the Israelite and us, we are never homeless. Even if we literally had no home, we are not homeless. We have a continual abiding help. We have a home, a rest in Christ. If you're a believer, and I pray that you are in this room this morning, God is living in you and he's working through you and going to provide you with peace. So even in 2021, when you switch on the news, like, what's the point of watching the news these days at all? Uh, All you're going to feel is unease and unrest and terror, and it'd probably make you want to just not leave the house. But if you're a Christian, you have the God of all peace living inside of you, providing you hope, providing you provision, providing you absolute peace. So the truth is this. The truth is this. The Israelites' wandering is just a picture of our sinful wandering before we repent and believe the gospel. So we had no permanent home, no permanent spiritual rest before Christ. And some of you can testify to that anguish, that you know, that missing void that we talk about without Christ. We had nothing. We had no hope. We had just this life and then nothing. Um, And you see that in a lot of, um, like we have someone in our extended family who banks his life on earning money, uh, keeping people provided for. Um, Everything else doesn't really matter. As long as you're providing and you're um, just giving money to your kids, you're all set. Like everything's fine. Um, but there's much more to life than that. And if that was all there is, we have no hope. So our exodus and promised land is our sinful wandering, but then our redemption and our promised land is heaven. So now we're simply sojourners and temporary residents here. We're borrowing time because God's given us our time. It's not ours to, to keep or we didn't create it. We're borrowing time to serve God, just like we've been talking about with these missionaries. Uh, we really should be praying for those couples who have given of their, their time, their effort, their skills, their family to go serve others who we may not even um, see or know. Uh, we just see the fruit of it and, and hear about it. We need to be praying for those guys. They've given of their time and their lives for Christ. Um, and we are to do the same wherever we are. To bring people into his kingdom, that's our job. But the very nature of God is to be so close to his people that he simply cannot 
They cannot deny his promises being kept that were made to them. So verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Verse 3, You return man to dust, and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night, which is like a night, a night watch for a guard. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that's renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. That's our lives. So a show of hands, who knows how mountains are formed? Or knows a little bit about how mountains are formed? Raise of hands. A couple of people. Some geologists here. So... Have you ever considered what's going on under your feet as you stand outside, even if you're just standing outside in the street or at a hill or overlooking Adelaide from the hills? This is what's happening. So just take a listen to this. This is happening now under our feet. So mountains are formed by movement within the Earth's crust. The crust itself is made up of several large plates called tectonic plates, which are free-floating, I guess kind of like your kneecap maybe, so these huge chunks of the Earth's crust move within molten rock called magma, which allows them to shift and collide over time. Even though humans live on the crust, they do not often feel these movements as they are very slow. The sheer size of each plate is so large. Nevertheless, these shifts have great impacts on human life as the movement of plates is what creates changes in the geographical structure of the surface of the Earth. In this way, mountains are created over time, so when these plates collide, there's a great deal of mass and pressure which suddenly comes to a stop. And it's this movement that forces the earth into buckles or protrusions, which are known as mountains. So depending on how these plates move or collide, one of three types of mountains can be formed. Number one, volcanic. That's exciting. Number two, fold. Number three, block mountains, each of which is formed in a different way. And I had an image up here of uh, what you can do at home, guys, so all the kids listening, this is something we really need to do, is you get two boxes, you get a whole bunch of folded towels in half, stack them on top of each other, squish those boxes together with the towels in the middle, right, and you'll get all these buckles and protrusions and mountains forming. It's really exciting. So just a little science experiment you can do, you know, before bath time or something. Just smush those towels together that are folded and you'll get buckles and protrusions coming up uh, in a really cool looking way. But all of that is happening now under our feet. And the God we're talking about was there before those mountains were formed. He's there in control of every single tectonic plate shift happening under our feet now. So he's trustworthy. He upholds, he sustains, he's in control of every shift under our feet. He declares how long the earth has left to turn. He's even, it says in Jeremiah, he holds the earth on nothing, like he hangs it on nothing. So before, like what Philip Galley's been saying, before people even knew the earth was just a spinning globe, God already said it was a spinning globe. So we probably should take it from him. So God alone has the power to keep us safe during this crisis and in all crises. If he can handle tectonic plate shifts, he can handle COVID-19. If he can handle tectonic plate shifts, he can handle 
strife in the family, or a death of a loved one, or financial trouble, relationship trouble, any trouble, he can handle it. So Matthew Henry says this regarding God being a comfort to us, though we're a dying people. He says this, Against all the grievances that arise from our immortality and the mortality of our friends, we may take comfort from God's immortality. We are dying creatures, and all our comforts in the world, like we've been talking about, are dying comforts. But God is an ever-living God. And those shall find him, so who have him, for theirs. Amen. So because God is everlasting from past into the future, he can be fully trusted to care for us in the present. He's always shown himself faithful. No matter how hard we try, we cannot change the fact that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Like it says in Romans. Um, in Hebrews 1, you can turn to Hebrews 1 verse 10. Um, so we might go there together. It paints us a picture of God's immortality and the rule over creation. So let's uh, go there to Hebrews 1, verse 10. Just a short couple of verses. This is an incredible um, couple of verses because it's pretty much talking about how the world will actually end, what it's even going to look like. Um, so Hebrews 1.10 says, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Verse 11, They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Verse 12, Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. So God can basically roll up the earth like we roll up a dressing gown after we've washed it. God can just roll up the earth. It's, it's done. That's, that's it. Um, but this isn't a scary thing. This is just how we can trust God. Like if he can do that with the earth when it's finished, he can help us in anything we're going through. That's the God we serve. So in verse 3 in Psalm 90, God says to return, O children of man. So this isn't a repentance return, like turning to God in repentance. This is not a coming home from wondering. This is talking about death. So this is God saying, your time here is over, and I'm the God who says it's over. So every single person uh, in this room, in this town, in this country, whether king, prince, millionaire, entrepreneur, homemaker, must return to dust as God commanded it in Genesis. But man has always been reduced to dust from then on. Nobody's ever escaped it. So, well, I should say Enoch did escape it. Um, but that's, that's a uh, really, really, really small anomaly. Everybody else has returned to dust. That's how it goes. But contrasting this, God has also always provided for his people. Even in the judgment of Adam and Eve... God gave them work to do. He let them live on and raise children. He allowed mankind to thrive. He gave us music. He gave us food. He gave us love, hope, joy, animals, clean air. Also, God provided the sacrifice for us 
before we sinned so that there would always be a way to avoid death's cold sting. So yes, God does call us to dust again, but he's also provided the way out from the sting of death. He's done both. So this is the care and the mercy of God, that despite us having an expiry date, we also have a blessed hope, um, like we mentioned, in his return and in his Holy Spirit dwelling in us. That's our hope. And the Holy Spirit is a down payment of what's to come. So verse 4, it says, A thousand years are like a yesterday to God. So who here has ever flicked through their computer photos or their photo albums at home and just thought, man, this is my whole life flashing before my eyes. I'm 20 there, I'm 30 there. Maybe it just goes on and on and on. For me, it's 35. But still, <laughs> I can't believe how quick this thing goes. Even if you take... 10 photos on your camera and you flick through, you can't believe how quick we age and this life just goes by so fast. But to God, this turning of the pages, this scrolling through an entire year of photos like you do on a computer, if you just hold the right key and just flick through, you can literally see yourself grow up. It's quite scary. Um, but to God, that's history, that's decades, that's centuries, that's millennia passing by his eyes. He's just holding right and flicking history through. So he knows every intimate detail about us. This is He does this with every human that's ever lived. But not once has he ever changed. Nothing of his character has changed since the first person to now. God's character has remained the same. His mercy has been the same. His help has been the same. His character, his um, you know, sacrifice for sin, it's exactly the same. He offers the same mercy. But when we flick through, we do change. Like you can point to like fashion changes and workplace changes, how many kids you've had, uh, what you were like back then. Maybe there was photos of you before you knew Christ and you just looked depressed or way different or hopeless. Um, but God does not change like we do. He has also not grown weary of us. He's never aged. He's also never slept. He's never once thought about you and said, what have I done? He has never said that. And that's a, uh, that's a good promise for this morning. So verse 7, For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? But then he says this. So teach us, in light of all of this that we've just said, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So in verse 9, Moses is talking about failing to reach the promised land and seeing multiple generations of his friends and family die off. So you've got to remember in all of this wandering, people would have been dying all around him, possibly family members. And this would have been heartbreaking. But ultimately it was right in that God didn't owe them anything. And who today on this earth truly understands this, that God doesn't actually owe them stuff? Like, I've spoken to tons of people where they think, God owes me big time. Like, I've done things. I've done good things. God owes me some good. 
But God really doesn't even owe us oxygen. He doesn't owe us a thing. He doesn't need anything. He's self-sufficient. All that he provides, even for the ungodly, is just a merciful gift. And that's what people need to hear. So it was right that God didn't owe them anything. And God is correct in all of his judgments. So there's billions and billions of people that end up in hell year after year, but God is right in doing that. It isn't wrong. Like one of the main problems that people have with Christianity is that how can God send anybody to hell? We're so good. We're such a good people. That's absolutely not true. <laughs> All you need to do is look in the mirror of the Ten Commandments and you find out after just one of them that you've busted, you've broken all of them, that all just comes crumbling down that argument. But people still make the argument anyway. But Jesus also, sorry, God has also, even though our sin and disobedience is there, it's brought to light, like we've been saying, God still pours out his wrath on his own son for us. And those friends of ours who shake their fist at God and say that he owes them something, the sacrifice for sin is there. So nobody, including the most charitable person on earth, has earned God's favor in any way. So this sin that we're talking about that gets exposed to the light in God's presence, it either gets washed away in Jesus or we pay the price of it. There's no middle ground. You can have your sins washed by the blood or you can just hope you get away with it and pay the penalty. But verse 12 says something important that everyone in this room needs to hear and obey and is to be taught how to number our days. And that's the heartbeat of this entire thing, this entire psalm, is to pray for a heart of wisdom and number our days. So what does it mean to number our days? So that word for number in Hebrews is, sorry, in Hebrew is limnout. I probably haven't got the pronunciation right, but it's L-I-M-N-O-W-T, which means to weigh out, to allot, to constitute officially. So this means that in light of God's faithfulness to us, in light of his provision and care, in light of his mercies to people who rebel and neglect and worship other things, who take sin lightly and often waste time on so many useless things, it's this, to rest in Christ. It's to spend your life serving Christ, to know Christ, to honor Christ, to lay your life down for Christ. Because nobody else is worthy of that devotion. And none of us can think of anybody else who's worthy of knowing this much or honoring this much for dying for as much as Jesus so John Gill elaborates further. He says, The meaning of this petition, to number our days, is that God would teach us uh, as if the present one, this day we're in now, was the last, for we cannot boast of tomorrow. We know not but this day or night our souls may, may, may be required of us. But the sense is that God would teach us seriously to meditate on and consider the shortness of our days, that they are but a shadow, and there is no abiding and the vanity of sinfulness, so and the vanity and sinfulness of them, that so we may not desire to live here always. So again, we're sojourners, and the troubles and sorrows of them, which may serve to wean us from the world and to observe how unprofitably we've spent them, which may put us upon redeeming time, and also to take notice of the goodness of God that has followed us all of our days, 
which may lead to repentance and engage us in the fear of God. Isn't that good? So we can redeem the time by taking notice of the goodness of God that has followed us. And it says that in scripture, that goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. And it leads us to repentance and the fear of God, healthy fear. So this may seem bleak in points up to here. All we've talked about is dust and death and wandering and failure to reach the promised land and loss. But the passage turns in a sec. It begins telling us to get a heart of wisdom, like we've been saying. And in the New Testament, um, it confirms this when Paul in Ephesians teaches us how to walk in this life. So this is going to reiterate what it's saying in Psalms. So if you go to Ephesians 5, verse 15... You'll see what it, how it all ties together from the New Testament and the Old Testament uh, together, how we're to live in this life in light of everything we've been talking about. So Ephesians 5, 15 uh, to 21. So many of you will know this passage probably, but it really does tie with Psalms and how to get this heart of wisdom and number our days. So it says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. So redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that's debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And that's my prayer for the church, that we one day be able to sing together. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So is that starting to make sense now? How we should live in light of all of what Moses is saying, this mercy of God that's followed him this whole time. Now we have a, a template of how to live, how to treat each other how to be filled with the Spirit, what we're to do at church and with each other as Christians. And it's saying because the days we live in are evil, and what that kind of means is pretty much the culture you can see now, where people will gradually stop understanding morality. They'll stop understanding truth. They won't know gender. They won't know logical thoughts or persevering in faith, who God is and what their purpose is for existence. How many people... You know, Christian musicians have we heard leaving the faith recently. It's quite staggering. Christian authors and musicians just dropping like flies, like well-known 90s artists. You can look them up. Um, they're just tossing away decades of Christian thought, Christian music, Christian, you know, Christian teaching. Um, that's the days we're in. So it's saying here we must hold fast to what is good and not be foolish time wasters. And we must also be fueled with the Spirit. So this is so that we can meet together and listen to the Apostles' doctrine, to sing to God, to give thanks and serve each other in the community, all under the name of Jesus. So verse 13, it goes on from Psalm 90. Do return, O Lord, how long will it be? And be sorry for your servants. So the desire for the Lord to return, whether in person or to comfort Moses, would have been intense at this point. And with us, there are times in our lives where God seriously seems like he's gone missing. He's just absent. He's nowhere. We might feel anger, loss, 
discomfort. There might be pain in the body, anguish, hopelessness. And one of the most crippling things I can see regarding this COVID era, and this is, this is prevalent everywhere, every country that's got it, is the sheer loneliness that it's created for the elderly, for children, for the adult who simply wants to live a life free from incredibly throttled activity. And there's some stats on this, and I want you to listen to this and just think, how is this possible? So this is over the last two years. So loneliness, this is a direct quote now from, uh, I can't remember the site now. Oh, the study was done with the Bureau of Statistics, is what I'm going to mention. So loneliness is one of the highest reported source of personal stresses for Australians through April. Uh, I'm pretty sure that was this year. A month dominated by COVID-19 related restrictions on travel and visitation. And Michelle Marquant said women were more likely to report feelings of Loneliness, with 28% of women describing feelings of loneliness as opposed to 16% of Australian men. And the statistics for men, that's probably because we don't talk about anything. We just bottle it up and one day it pops out. But around one in five people, so just keep that statistic in mind, one in five, that's on my hand, reported they were experiencing difficulties maintaining a healthy lifestyle, which is more of a problem for those aged 18 to 64 years than those aged 65 years and over. Ms. Marquant said. The survey conducted by the ABS also documented changes Australians have been experiencing in their lifestyles over the lockdown period. Some 22% said they are eating more snack foods, like chips, lollies and biscuits. So that's not good. 14% reported an increase in alcohol intake, and 10% who said they are consuming less. As well as 58% who reported spending more time in front of their television, computer, phone, or other device. And what do we think is being broadcast on that device and that computer? Fear and anguish, hopelessness. Um, there's also this really weird thing where I just saw this ad the other day and it came on, it was on a morning show. They were going to advertise all these hilarious lockdown videos of funny things that people are doing just to try and band-aid the pain that we're talking about here. It's just it's bonkers. Um, so she added that during the period of early April to early May, one in six Australians aged 18 years and over, that's 17%, used a telehealth service. So instead of picking up the Bible, they rang a telehealth service, who would probably just try and band-aid the situation again and just tell you everything's fine, this will all be over soon, um, but often no real hope. So almost half, 43%, said the telehealth service was a replacement for a previously arranged face-to-face -face appointment. So again, it's this whole digital age where we're just kind of, you know, herded in to our screens to do everything digitally and lots of just appointments changing, like I talked about earlier. So that's just some statistics for you about what's happening now. This, you know, when it says the days are evil, um, none of this stuff's good for anybody. So our cries may appear unnoticed, but they aren't. God is everywhere and knows us. He's always there as close as when we felt his grace last. The cry for pity on us is okay to have. We're allowed to feel sorry for our sins or cry out to him in anguish that I'm lonely, I need help. We can fall upon God and come along and weep with him and he'll weep with us. Jesus, after all, is gentle and lowly in heart. In fact, one of Jesus' greatest characteristics 
and you'll find this in the New Testament, is Jesus' ability to stoop down where we are at our eye level, like we do with our children when we look at our kids in the eyes and we want to counsel them and comfort them. Jesus does that with us when we're sad and he comforts us where we are and we need this comfort. So Jesus says this in Matthew 11. Here is Jesus' heart. He says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. So that could be some of those people in these statistics. Come to me, Jesus says. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's a promise. Jesus doesn't say you may possibly find some rest if you try hard or if you do the right stuff. He just says, no, come to me, you will find rest. And I know many of us have found rest in this Jesus. So Jesus is willing to take any burdens you have today. So men in the room, this could be the burden of providing for your family, the burden of measuring up enough to meet your wife's expectations or other people's expectations, the pressure to perform at your peak at all times so that you're seen as strong your spiritual walk, where we know sometimes we don't pray enough or read scripture enough. Or men, if you think you've disappointed your family by missing a kid's school event or some other thing. Or you've blown it with something you've said, which we all do. And women, it could be a pressure to look a certain way. It could be expectations you have on yourself to keep up with those friends you, that seem to have things better off. It could be the high expectations others are placing on you to be the best wife and mother and homemaker and public speaker and counsellor and friend and colleague in the world. I know these things are real. Those things can be laid down this morning for Jesus to take care of. And young people, it could be the pressure to study for that career, the expectations that you're to be a model Christian at all times, perfectly obey your parents, to stay in God's good books. The emotional roller coaster of just growing up and changing from a child to an adult that comes with 50 different changes in a short space of time. I know that some of you are experiencing that as a young person. Lay them at Jesus' feet this morning. Only He can carry them. So you can't deal with this stuff on your own. It's just too much. And I'm not saying as well in saying this, let's just not try. Like, yes, we do need to be model citizens. We do need to be good husbands and wives. But that burden cannot be something that's generated ourselves and fulfilled ourselves. We need God's help. So verse 14 to 16. So here's some good news. Moses says this. O satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days you've afflicted us. And the years we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. That's a good verse. So Matthew Henry points out that this plea for joy amidst their suffering is the same for all of us. So he says this, O satisfy us with your mercy, not only that we may be easy and at rest within ourselves, which we can never be while we lie under your wrath, but that we may rejoice and be glad, not only for a time, upon the first indications of thy favour, but all our days, though we are to spend them in the wilderness. With respect to those that make God their chief joy, so he's their chief prize, he's the source of their joy, 
as their joy may be full, so it may be constant even in this, in this veil of tears. So Jesus' prayer for us is that our joy may be full in this life, as well in 1 John 1, verse 1. Sorry, 1 John 1, verse 1 to 4. So this is from the Nasby. He says this, What was from the beginning, what we've heard, what we've seen with our eyes, what we've looked at and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we've seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. And here it is. So that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And here's where it connects to Psalms. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. So verses 15 to 17 of Psalm 90 are prayers for the good works of the Israelites not to be forgotten and in vain. So not only does Moses pray for the kind of joy that will sustain them through their desert banishment, but that God would still be able to work through them in history, despite their sin and rebellion. And God certainly did that. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about them this morning. And we can pray this too, and we should do this. We should pray, Lord, bless our work and our sacrifice. Remember us in history. Please confirm that this was you at work and not a man-made success. Because the Israelites prayed this, but we can pray this as well. This is a prayer for us. Please show yourself to our future kids, like our kids' kids. Let them be glad and find rest, and to know that peace, the peace that surpasses all understanding. Let our kids' joy be full. Let their kids' joy be full. Let them spread this gospel to the ends of the earth, and their joy be full, and be made in Christ. Amen. So it says in verse 15 to 17, Make us glad according to the days you've afflicted us and the years we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. And again he says, yes, confirm the work of our hands. So we can see here this this prayer for the gospel to be propagated, to go forth, like all of the work that the Israelites and Moses had done in the wilderness to not be in vain, for it to spread, to continue through history. And as God turns the pages of history for other people to hear about Jesus, to hear about God, to find their promised land in heaven. Um, And because of Moses' faithfulness, though he did sin, you know, with the rock, um, he still, that promise, God still fulfilled it through him. Uh, and we find this all through scripture, people that had sinned, you know, like Moses killed an Egyptian, but God still worked through him to deliver these promises. He works through sinful people. There are no other kinds of people. So on this kind of thankfulness during trials, I would like to finish, and we're kind of um, ending here, um, with a moving story that brings home the point that we can be thankful to an ever-living God for giving us salvation no matter what's happening to us. So listen closely to this story and just imagine you in this situation. So Louis, or Louis, Albert Banks, tells of an elderly Christian man 
a fine singer who learned that he had cancer of the tongue and that surgery was required. In the hospital, after everything was ready for the operation, the man said to the doctor, Are you sure I'll never sing again? And the surgeon found it difficult to answer his question. He simply shook his head. No. The patient then asked if he could sit up for a moment. I've had many good times singing the praises of God, he said, and now you tell me I can never sing again? I have one song that will be my last. And here's what it is. It will be of gratitude and praise to God. Then he starts singing this song. There in the doctor's presence, the man sang softly the words of Isaac Watts' hymn, I'll praise my maker while I've breath. And when my voice is lost in death, praise shall employ my nobler power. My days of praise shall never be past, while life and thought and being last, or immortality endures. So let's be like Paul and Silas in prison. In Acts 16, it's in verse 16 to 25, where they were in prison. They are in the worst possible place they can be. They're arrested for preaching the gospel. They sang hymns to God with joy, despite being held in a dark and cold prison. This is not a prison like we have today, where there's exercise time and ostar and three meals a day and family calls. This is absolutely not that kind of prison. Yet they were singing hymns to God with joy through that situation. And we can do the same through our situation. And God delivered them as well, literally. So let's be like Job, who said at the end of his trials, at the peak of awful things that could possibly happen to him, he said to his God, though he slay me, yet I will praise you. So let's have that cry in our lives, that though all this stuff's happening, God's, he could be behind this, he says, yet I will praise you. So Father, as we think upon these words, Lord, of Psalm 90, um, I pray, Lord, that you'll give us all a, um, a just a, a better perspective on the days we have left. Uh, we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. We don't know what this afternoon is going to bring. Lord, we just trust, Lord, that you will look after us because we know you have looked after every single believer through history. You've looked after Moses, Abraham, David, Joseph, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, the, the list just is endless of people you've delivered, even if not physically. You've still delivered promises to people, even though they didn't see promises like Abraham. Um, Lord, we trust you because you have been shown trustworthy. And no matter what is happening with COVID and with the news, um, no matter what is happening with um, violence and danger and, and killings and just the evil that we see in the world, like the moral decay that's going on, Lord, we know and we can trust that you are in control of all things. Lord, you will um, listen to our prayers. You hear our prayers, our cries. Lord, these burdens we have this morning of not being able to measure up, um, to expectations we have on ourselves and others put on us that we know are there. We lay them at your feet because you are gentle, you are lowly at heart. You stoop down to help those who are your children. And Lord, we are your children. Those that are filled with the Spirit this morning, um, who have been indwelt with the Holy Spirit, who trust you for salvation, are your children. And 
you only give good gifts to your children. And we thank you for that, Lord, that your mercy is there. It follows us. Your goodness follows us. It, it chases us down and it never leaves us. And you are close, closer today than you ever have been. You never change, Lord. You remain the same. And thank you, Lord, that you just tirelessly comfort um, us in a time of need where definitely we have a time of need right now with this uh, country, this state, uh, our families. We all need you no matter what's going on. Lord, we just bring everything before you today and lay it at your feet. And we just ask that you will give us peace, that joy may be made complete in you. Um, and as we just listen to a uh, song about this uh, soon, Lord, help us to soak in the words that in, um, in life and in death, Lord, you are Christ. You are um, the one who is faithful, who keeps his promises that, Lord, your mercy is new every morning. It's, it's always there. And we just thank you, Lord, for every person that's here this morning and for being here with us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for NBC Church Today. Our church meets at 1 McDonald Street, Narracourt, South Australia, 10 a.m. Sundays. Bible studies during the week help dive deeper into the Word, and our mission is to see Jesus glorified across the country through biblical missions and evangelism. Please consider leaving a review of the podcast to help further God's kingdom. Thank you.